0: Welcome. It's Security Weekly News, episode 104 on the 5th of March. Uh, this week, for the week of 28 February, we got non fungible tokens. I like saying that. Exchange, Talon Cameras, OSINT, Rockwell, and more, not to mention all show wrap ups on Security Weekly News Wrap Up Show. <laughs> This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the attackers that put our critical systems in jeopardy. Core Impact from Core Security is a penetration testing tool that safely finds vulnerabilities using the same techniques of adversaries. With certified exploits and wizards that guide you through critical pen tests while maximizing the time of advanced testers by automating their routines. With Core Security, you can safeguard your infrastructure by limiting access, detecting threats, testing for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitoring data. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security all right what happened this week um okay on application security weekly number 141 john matt mike had ted harrington who's executive partner at independent security evaluators on uh to talk about the difference in defining types of security testing and what goals security testing should be trying to accomplish uh also they talked about the shifting left issue we've talked about a lot um and you know, I think all of us want to see that. So again, I, I, I'm always happy to see more people talking about that and trying to get that security function earlier in that lifecycle process. Maybe that would help us all some of these uh, zero days uh, on Enterprise Security Weekly. Two one six, Adrian and Paul, Adrian Paul and Tyler Shields. Uh, covered the news in their first segment. In the second segment, H.D. Moore, the CEO at Rumble, Inc., joined the show to talk about research in new techniques for device fingerprinting and topology mapping. In their third segment, uh, Kelly Mock, the principal at Workbench uh, joined to talk about his investment thesis in security and the cybersecurity investment market in general. If you're like me, you sort of constantly want some guidance on where to put money uh, into the cybersecurity realm, which seems to be one of the like really, really growing uh, industries so you can really get in on those sweet, sweet returns and fat stacks of cash. Uh, well, if I had any money, that is, but I, I know some of you do, but, but so you might want to check this out. Or, or you could just send your money to me at security weekly ponzischeme.com uh and then that, that i'll take care of it for you um, on business security weekly number 207 paul jason and matt had david chamberlain uh the managing director at cra inc uh he was on to talk about the best practices to prepare for a security incident, which I will tell you, I've had conversations with people and, and you'll get these responses to that like, well, we don't really worry so much about incident response because, you know, we're in pretty good shape. I mean, we're, we're pretty well set up here. And you're just like, guys, you are going to get got. One day, you'll get got. It it may not be because you did a poor job. It may be because there's a zero day or because of solar winds or exchange or any of those other things. In the second segment, uh, they covered financial targets don't motivate employees. Makes sense, Uh, unless it's the employees' financial targets. Uh, Texas power outage uh, uh, flags the need to revisit business continuity. Uh, something I've been dealing with forever security job candidate background checks what you can and can't do I, I really like that one because uh, people get in trouble of this for this all the time so they're interviewing people they ask inappropriate questions or worse they jump in and they start you know doing sort of you know cyber stalking of these potential employees and going let's look at their Facebook page let's look at their Instagram and you know and 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 maybe that's okay but there's a lot of issues around that so so definitely check that out on Security and Compliance Weekly, number 6-3, Jeff, Josh, Liam, and Scott were joined by Mike Folk, uh, the VP of Cyber Risk Solutions at PSA Insurance and Financial Services, and also uh, Albert Leitzel, uh, the 5th. Uh, who's an account executive at PSA Insurance and Financial Services. Those two guests decided to take uh, take on the anti-insurance crowd at Security and Compliance uh, Weekly, uh, along with Jeff's withering disdain. Uh, so the first segment was was about myths and misconceptions about cyber insurance, which is a really good segment uh, on there. Uh, a lot of people are either considering have cyber insurance but don't really know what's covered. So definitely a, a must-watch for everybody. In uh, the second segment, same lineup, uh, different subject. This time you talked about practical steps to pursue when you were considering cyber insurance. And and again, Jeff's withering disdain. On the Security Weekly News, number 103. Um, Jason Wood was off doing uh, the important things that Jason Woods does when uh, Jason Wood does when he is not on on uh, Security Weekly News, and we had the pleasure of having as a guest host Aaron Leyland himself, the CEO at Restricted Access Limited, live from Great Britain. Aaron was talking about the GSHQ uh, and how they're using artificial intelligence, and he had a whole bunch of info about AI, so definitely fun, and Aaron's our our great friend who we haven't gotten to see in person in a long time, so maybe someday we'll get invited to do a live show in London, uh, which I would love to do, hint, hint, Uh, or maybe they'll have DEF CON again in person and we can see everybody's sad face. Anyway. On Paul's Security Weekly, number 685, last night in the first segment, Philip Wiley, uh, a, a person who is very interesting, uh, he actually once did wrestle a bear, and he was a former pro wrestler who's super crazy smart. But he is the offensive cybersecurity instructor at INE and was on to talk about, well, offensive cybersecurity education. And obviously, that was something a, a lot of the hosts on Security Weekly, including myself, are uh, either educators, have been educators, work for training companies, and so forth. Some of us have done all the above. And um, it was really interesting to talk with him about getting started in pen testing, and everybody had a lot of opinions. It was a really, really fun segment uh, that had a lot of conversation in it. Um, uh, you know, and and I mean, you know, I thought it was an interesting segment, even just from the perspective of you know how to get started in pen testing is such a common question, uh, but but it was interesting to hear from Philip, and he was a great uh, guest. In the second se- and plus you had to be afraid of him because he actually literally did wrestle uh, uh, like a real bear. Uh, I, I we found a picture of it, <laughs> like no kidding. Uh, in the second segment, uh, none other than Paul Asadorian himself presents how to build a kick-ass PC uh and i know paul just made me jealous because he was building one that has more ram than mine so now i want uh, you know i want at least 256 gigs of ram and i I want a thirty-sixty card uh or at least a 30 series like 30 you know whichever one i can get but you can't get them and i really want it right now it's just not fair but uh Paul was showing us the the system he built, which did not have a thirty sixty in it, but it is an awfully nice system. And it was again a lot of the hosts. Uh, I think probably every host there had built you know m- multiple systems in the past. So it was a really good conversation around building machines, and we had fun talking about it. So definitely worth watching that one. Uh, Paul did share the whole build that he did. He's got links to it. He's got li- links to PC parts Pickers, so you can actually see the components that he used in his system. And it's super nice. And is sitting in there in his office right now. And I might just take it with me when I leave because she's not here right now. Uh, and of course, we had the the news segment. My favorite thread of the week is going to be surveillance. I know you thought I was going to say exchange, but I will talk about that. Um, so I saw th- I saw this article about Talon Flock, and so there's this rollout of this these cameras called Talons in in this company called Flock and it was going on and it really made me revisit something I've always thought about security and privacy. So for years, and I, and I do still feel this way, security is always a trade-off between convenience and safety, always. And long ago, I, I said, if you put cameras everywhere, this was probably like in 1993 or something. If you put cameras everywhere, it will reduce crime. Now, some people don't agree with that. There's some articles that say you know that, that there's no correlation between the number of cameras and the amount of crime. But I always felt that it would because the assumption is that they work and that if someone's monitoring them and so forth. So back in the 60s, this guy named Kohlberg did a whole bunch of psych research on people's ethical behavior, and, and 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 I've oversimplified it. I wrote some papers about this a long time ago, but I oversimplified this down to three basic types: uh, pre-conventionalist, conventionalist, and post-conventionalist. So, if you hear me, t- if you've ever known me for very long, you probably heard me say Kohlbergian pre-conventionalism. Um, Say it with me. Coburgian pre conventionalism. Um, but pre conventionalists are people that take advantage of situations when no one is watching. I mean, that's just that's the definition of them. So a lot of ha- a lot of script kitty type hackers and things like that are Coburgian pre conventionalists. Conventionalists are people who typically follow the rules of societal norms, whatever those are, like laws or just what is generally accepted, you know, like like why you don't become a cannibal. You know, I mean, everybody's been curious about cannibalism. I'm kidding. Or, or maybe i'm not uh and post-conventionalists are people that believe they follow some higher power and again that doesn't necessarily mean gods or or anything like that it just necess- it, it's some other thing outside of societal norms so if there's a wallet laying in the street, pre conventionalists looks at it and they look around to see is anybody watching and then they take the wallet. The conventionalist tried to return the wallet. So they say a wallet laying in the street, they pick it up, they look at it and go, oh, it's this guy, maybe I'll call him and send this to them or maybe I'll take it to the police or whatever. And post-conventionalists steal the money to give to their organization who's fighting to prevent the unnecessary deaths of field mice. So if you assume that you can't really stop post-conventional crime, because post-conventionalists are people that don't care if they're caught and punished because they believe they're doing something for a higher cause. Uh, And conventionalists will generally follow the rule. So you put up a camera and the pre-conventionalist says, oh, I'm not touching that. There's a camera right there looking at If I pick this wallet up, I'm going to get caught. So you could extend all that into, you know, putting an RFID chip in every single person, and when a crime occurs, you just play back the feed and see who did it. So you reduce crime, right? Crime, to me, anyway, crime seems like it would plummet just with the thought that you might have a chip in your head that the police can detect. I, I mean, mostly some people are going to do, you know, so there's always stupid people around. I mean, nobody ever walked into a 7-Eleven with a shotgun and thought. You know, tomorrow I'll be in prison for the rest of my life. They all thought, I'll get that $25 and a couple of subway tokens and I'll be all set. Uh, I guess the essence of this is, you know, Philip K. Dick's Minority Report novel, and there was a movie made of it, and a lot of people are, are more familiar with. But, you know, Philip K. Dick was basically saying, what if you could predict that someone would do something? And this is sort of the essence of, to me, privacy and surveillance and all this stuff. He 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 used something odd, as he often did, a precognition, which, you know, is not a real thing. But, but you know, you could use AI. Uh, you could use AI profiling, use human profiling, all sorts of things that people might use to predict whether somebody would commit a crime or not. Probably not a good idea, but you know, as we've seen. Um, and of course, all sorts of things go wrong with this when you put it in practice. So what about these surveillance camps? So this was the original point. Um, well, to me, the main issue seems to be around privacy and profiling and all this kind of stuff. So um, a lot of people who watch our shows have a lot of privacy concerns. I, I mean, I really don't. Uh, because I'm pretty damn boring when you get right down to it. And I don't really care if you want to watch me. So this sort of, you know, overt feeling by me is that so what? I mean, that's that's my honest feeling. I mean, I mean and I know there's all sorts of issues here. But, but I mean, just me personally is like, watch away. I mean, here I sit. I'm doing a show. I'm, you know, writing a paper or whatever I'm doing. But all that aside, privacy advocates do understand that this sort of surveillance can be used for very bad things by the government. Uh, like tracking people they don't agree with i mean it's a standard practice in uh fascist states uh, dictatorships and other places you know and even in you know sometimes free countries uh people in the government say hey these are our political enemies we're going to see if we can catch them doing something we don't like um and then there's stupid things like harassing your ex Uh, are seeing what your ex is up to and and really bad things like racial profiling and harassment and so forth. Uh, So according to Vice Motherboard article, uh, the Talon Network mentioned by law enforcement has 500 million scans of vehicles a month. So these are cameras that can capture your license plate. Boom. Um, If we assume that it never gets misused, well, okay, it, it seems like it's a pretty good thing. If some kidnapped child gets saved, great. You know, I mean, I mean, there's an amber alert and, and the camera spots a license plate headed, you know, headed down the Jersey Turnpike. That's a pretty good thing. But what we keep seeing is that it won't be long before someone abuses it. They'll decide to track their political opponent. They'll decide to see where their abused spouse is hiding out, or they're going to decide that as a post-conventionalist, they need to overthrow the government so that whatever they do is Okay. So the Flock people then say, well it's the only camera dedicated to crime solving with privacy built in. <laughs> right. There's a video about this in the article with them saying this. Uh basically in my opinion, that's just them passing the responsibility and if you listen to what they're saying carefully, they're basically there's no like inherent like something that would, you know, build privacy into the camera that I could see. Um, you know, they basically just pass it along and say, well, uh, with the assumption that everybody behaves, uh, you know, okay, because they say that, you know, they don't maintain anything and it's all being passed along to the police. Um, But you know how insider threats are that I've already mentioned. So I guess that Privacy built in sounded kind of thin to me. Uh the Electronic Frontier Foundation says there is no evidence that the cameras reduce crime. And I don't know how much I agree with that. They they claim that they have no evidence of that. Um, but that's their opinion. That's my opinion. Um, I think we're rapidly moving to a world where privacy is going to be vastly reduced, whether you like it or not. Um you've you've often heard me talk on Security Weekly or on this show about the, the book The Light of Other Days by Arthur C. Clarke where there is no more privacy. I mean, the whole book is just about, you know, it's kind of a sci-fi concept, but the whole concept of the book is really there is no more privacy. You can spy on anyone you want. You can see what your neighbor's doing anytime you want. You can see what they did. Uh, and and it's a very interesting social commentary kind of book. Uh, so my feeling really is that we probably should start figuring out how to better deal with this. Um, so between drones, talon, ring doorbells, the fact that everybody's got a cell phone camera at hand, I videoed something today. I saw a hit and run. I video, I videoed something and you know, it, it you know, it turned out it was already reported and already handled, but I mean, I was like, wow, look at that. And you know, and then you're seeing that all the time, right? So I think our privacy is rapidly dwindling and I don't think that genie's going back in the bottle anytime soon. All right. The Microsoft exchange problem. <laughs> well, that happened. Uh, So basically, Exchange has a flaw. Actually, it's a bunch of flaws. uh, But it's a bunch of CVEs that are all chained together. And when that happens, it will allow remote authentication bypass. And it is allowing remote code execution on Exchange servers. And that's bad news for everybody because Exchange servers are very hard to deal with. They're hard to patch because they're just always production servers. Very tough situation. There were a lot of stories about this week. There was probably no site of news that did not have this as their their main headline. Um, According to some, this is being done by an APT called Hafnium. that's Microsoft. Microsoft names everything something Neum. Um, And this is a group that is attributed to China, uh, but other groups apparently at this point are using this attack as well. Huntress Labs said they had discovered more than 200 web shells deployed on thousands of vulnerable exchange servers, and they expect this number to keep rising. So CISA has ordered that emergency action be taken for all government on-premises products. So if you are government, they have ordered that you do this. Just the, this morning, CISA released an update on this that said that CISA had documented threat actors using open source tools to search for vulnerable exchange servers and advises any anyone using exchange to investigate for signs of compromise from at least listen to this the 1st of september 2020 so this has been going on a while there is a cisa alert and uh i did uh, put that in i that's what i linked on the site Uh, so all these other stories you can find just pick a news source and it'll be on there um I, i did put a link back to the original story i was getting this from uh, but the CISA alert has all the details of how this thing works. They have some mitigations that they're recommending. Um, and they are also re- recommending forensic analysis. And when they recommend forensic analysis, that translates to bad. So read the CISA alert and, and take care of your exchange servers now. I mean, really. Uh, and also make sure you're not, you know, compromised some other way. Um, we talked about this for a while last night. Uh, the story is that home office stills and videos offer a ripe OSINT source ready for plucking. I certainly think this is very uh, accurate and relevant based on my own personal experiences on Zoom and Teams and 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 uh, WebEx and everything else. I have seen all sorts of personal information on display in the background. Now, a lot of people have virtual backgrounds or blurred backgrounds now, which is a really good thing. But remember, all those videos that you made, say, last March when this thing first started and through the summer and the fall and everything else before, you may have even realized you could put a virtual background up or you could blur your background are still out there. So if you saved video or somebody else saved video from last year, it's out there. So you may want to think about what was in my background, especially for a lot of teachers and people who first started doing this last March. I think it's now diminished a bit, but you should definitely look at your own videos carefully and see what people can see. With HD video, you can enhance things in the background like diplomas, like pictures of people's families and their kids um you know not just have somebody that's got the network password on a post it note but i mean literally like the names of your kids and the schools they attend and stuff like that scary stuff um just the idea that somebody can see where you're located uh by looking out a window uh, I was with somebody the other day, and and I was you know I, I like the whole I was bored in the meeting, and I was looking out their window while they were talking, and I was thinking I wonder where that is, you know, and you could see cars going past and things like that. So somebody may be able to figure out where you're located, and not all and this was a very congenial meeting with some of my colleagues, but you know you you may not always be in a meeting with friends, and you may be in a meeting with hundreds of people, and teachers often don't want students to know where they live. It's probably a lost cause at this point. Uh, Likewise, I got busted. Uh, Somebody in one of my meetings was talking about the reflection in my glasses. So I, I usually wear glasses at home. Uh, on the computer and they could see the screen so I had all my six screens lit up and they they actually said are you paying attention because I can see you doing something over there on that other screen and yeah I wasn't paying attention Um, I'm still trying to figure out a good solution to that one Uh, so if you have one let me know but uh, you should take a careful look around and think paranoid so can somebody see that reflection could they see you type a password We, we had a story last week about being able to figure out people's passwords from the movements of their bodies and all this kind of stuff so it's probably be a good idea to warn your people about this about now and of course offensive stuff can you know can get you in trouble i mean if you've accidentally got something that may associate you with a group or something in the background that may offend somebody been a couple of cases where people had like you know weapons you know they were showing in the background that you know was kind of offensive There was another Chrome Zero Day this week as well. Chrome had been on a bad run of late and releasing updates pretty fast and furious. Chrome announced version 89 dot 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 with a nice little message that an update was being released. But they didn't mention that there were like 47 security fixes in the update and that eight of them were high severity. They really didn't make a point of that. Uh, I'm not sure how you get all your users at home to do their updates because these things can make your network vulnerable over the VPN, but maybe just warning about it will help. Uh, I've been suggesting that for a while, we really need like a storm center in our company just to put out all these daily, you know, a quick, uh, the, the quick five minute news service every day at lunchtime to let everybody know what they need to patch so that they can try to keep up with this stuff that is changing and make sure that some of this stuff is going on. I really hate seeing these, but Rockwell Logic's PLCs has a hard coded key that has a 10 severity. Yep. So when you start seeing those OT side scaries, it makes you kind of take a deep breath. Uh, basically, this vulnerability in Rockwell Logic programmable logic controllers is, uh, and they're called Logics. Uh, is based around being able to extract a secret encryption key. If you have that key, it is possible to mimic a workstation and target configurations or code on the PLC. So the thing is, if you're using the Purdue model effectively, these controllers probably should never, ever be exposed to the Internet. They should be behind a really nasty firewall. And as such, it gets down to insider threat. But since OT has very limited access, even on the inside, you hope that there's a limited threat vector. But then you start thinking about how we've started adding IIoT servers, stuff that wants to get on the Internet, cloud-based controllers. I see that stuff advertised, like move your op center to the cloud, control your OT network from the cloud. And they even have names for like fog and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, wow, you start to see the OT sanctity is being violated more and more, but we still have those old school ideas that the OT is off somewhere in in a warehouse and nobody can ever get to it. But even an update, to the OT now may require some kind of connection. And if there's a possibility of a connection, then someone somewhere will connect to it. So there isn't a patch for this. But Rockwell does provide some mitigations in this article. There's a link to it. Uh, Get those OT networks behind a firewall and test it well and often. Nation states are targeting infrastructure. We've seen that. You've heard me report on it. And they have a lot more skills and resources than that 12-year-old that hit your web server last year, or maybe not. I mean, that kid was really good. The NSA and CISA published a joint report providing guidance on protective DNS, this morning, uh, we all know about typo squatting and puny code and phishing redirects and all these kind of things. Um, but basically what they said was the domain names associated with malicious content are often known or knowable and preventing their resolution prevent, protects individual users and the enterprise. So this new recommendation involves what is called protective DNS, which is basically a DNS resolver that has policy capability. And, it's, and the name for it is response policy zone so what that means is that it has the ability to cross-check the dns query and the returned ip and then it can redirect malicious links to some non-malicious site that says hey you shouldn't have clicked that you know be warned this is a dangerous site so i guess or maybe it pops up a warning saying are you sure you want to go to that site it's not what it says it is uh, or it's on a list or whatever so you need a pdns service and then you update your dns pointers to point there instead of just plain old dns Obviously, this isn't the end of that story and you're going to have to have other protections in place, but hey, at least it's a start. Google has now said that it will not participate in efforts by ad tech companies who are trying to build better ways to track your actions based on browser history. Obviously, most of us don't like this. Uh, and, and these companies have been doing it for a while, but Google has now announced that they're working to stop it last year. They started plans to block third party cookies in Chrome completely by the end of 2021. Uh, these and other browser history captures are basically how they push all those targeted ads you see. And I get a lot of weird ones because I do forensics cases and stuff. So I'm always Googling strange things. Um, like, you know, like what does C4 cost? And then you get a whole bunch of ads for like crazy paramilitary stuff. It's, it, it's kind of interesting to play with. Um, sounds good, you're right. But this article kind of casts it in a sinister light since it basically says it's not that Google's trying to be the good guys here, it's that they're really trying to monopolize the whole thing and cement their hold on their users. So, so, hmm, according to the article, Google is working on building tools that will basically categorize users into various groups and then w- wait for it, selling that access to those users. So, there it is. And finally, uh, so I don't understand art, okay? I mean, I I, I know what I like. So, are there Artists, painters sculptors uh you know my my friend boris is a great artist and i love his work um but i particularly don't understand the art world's usually so anyway you say that you have a jpeg of a dolly painting right and you can copy it um okay and you can distribute it i guess assuming that you didn't violate a copyright i mean that's not always clear either to me i mean if you take a picture of david you know the big nude guy in florence uh you can you post that on face face or something Will Leonardo's ghost take you to some kind of afterlife court? I'm not sure. But anyway, apparently you can now own memes and other digital images, which you'll probably immediately are going, what? Uh, So they call this crypto art in this article. Apparently that GIF, and yes, I said GIF, and you will take my hard G when you pry it from my cold, dead, soft palate, uh, is called Nyan Cat, or Nyan Cat. I don't know how to say it. But it's a famous GIF that is like a real, like an 8-bit cat with a rainbow shooting out of it. Uh, And it's now considered crypto art. And it was recently sold for it for $600,000. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, So, now wait a minute. I can just take a copy of the Nyan Cat GIF off the article and save it to my hard drive. And now I have it. But I don't have the non-fungible token that is associated with it. This is where the crypto art part comes in. So what the hell does all this mean? Well, apparently the the non-fungible token is a blockchain. They assign a crypto hash from the blockchain to the original, in quotes, and then you can buy the non-fungible token from me to prove that you are the one and only owner of that meme. So even though somebody else has a copy of it, I own it it's mine you can't have it and i guess that would could be used in copyright court then so i guess as we see more and more art being developed that is digital only the only way you're going to be able to show that this was banksy drawing this uh, is going to have to be some kind of blockchain like this otherwise it's all just a copy and that's a news wrap-up for the week of 28 february 2021 in the time of plague get your shots all of them please can i get vaccinated please i I really want to i i kind of like it it's kind of cool